From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Amber Hikes, your host. Last month, horrifying images hit the news. Border Patrol agents on horses were seen whipping Haitian migrants. This was the latest in a long line of anti-immigrant practices that have emboldened Border Patrol over the last few years. Some of these practices include the invocation and overuse of Title 42, a policy that closed the borders due to public health concerns and the transmission of COVID. Trump's Remain in Mexico policy that forces asylum seekers to wait for their hearings in Mexico and the vast expansion of privately owned ICE detention facilities. Biden campaigned on fixing the immigration system, and his administration has consistently touted their disapproval of Trump-era immigration policies. Even the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has been honest about the state of immigration affairs, calling it a completely broken system. But when we look critically at the administration's positive immigration reform, we see that words and actions are not lining up. What's it going to take to move the needle in immigration reform during the Biden era? Have we made any headway since Trump left office? Here to answer these questions and more is Cecilia Wong, Deputy Legal Director here at the ACLU and the Director of the ACLU Center for Democracy. Welcome to At Liberty, Cecilia. Thanks, Amber. Always good to talk with you. Really appreciate you being here. So. To start us off, can you give us a broad overview of some of the most pressing immigration issues that we're dealing with right now? What should we be concerned about? Sure. After four years of President Trump and his top immigration advisor, Steve Miller and Steve Bannon, we really had nowhere to go but up. So I think the people who helped President Biden get elected, including many immigrants and many communities of color, We're looking for true progress and true reform, a restoration of our U.S. asylum system that was really destroyed back down to rubble by the Trump administration. Sadly, we've been disappointed and we see a Title 42 CDC ban still in place. We see the Biden administration just this past Friday announcing that it plans to reinstate its forced Remain in Mexico program for people seeking asylum. And we see immigration detention numbers skyrocketing on top of those truly horrific images that we all saw of what's happening down in Del Rio, Texas, with CBP, Border Patrol agents, physically assaulting Haitian migrants. So the picture is a bleak one, Amber, and something that we're really alarmed about in the immigrants' rights movement and in border communities. That's right. We're disappointed about the state of things. Now, when we look back in his first 100 days, Biden took 94 executive actions on immigration. More than half of them were to undo Trump policies. These included pausing the construction of the border wall, ending the travel ban, uh, reaffirming DACA through executive order, although we know that that was later blocked by a judge, introducing some ambitious legislation for new pathways to citizenship, which of course was solved in in Congress, and then increasing refugee caps for both 2021 and 2022 after quite a bit of progressive backlash. How do we define these actions? Do you define them as successes? How do you classify those? 
I would say that my honest perspective is that the Biden administration seems to be caught between different constituencies and is taking very basic steps. For example, as you said, he ended the ban on the entry of people from predominantly Muslim countries. He also took steps to end the asylum bans, various previous executive orders. So there's been very, very limited progress by the Biden administration, despite the fact that the president came into office making a lot of promises in response to, again, these communities of color, immigrant communities who helped to get him elected. So, I mean, how do we measure him? How do we give him a grade? I think one dynamic that we're all dealing with is that compared to the Trump administration, a lot of our fellow Americans think that all the immigration problems have been solved simply with President Biden taking office. If there's one lesson that we can learn from uh, January of this year moving forward, it's that true progress is only going to come with continuous work. We've got to hold this president accountable just as we held his predecessor and all the predecessors before that um, accountable. No change happens without political activism. Just this year, as we're looking at the Biden administration, Vice President Harris actually visited Guatemala and she held a press conference where she directly addressed Guatemalans and said, don't come to the United States. To many, this felt, to your point, like a, like a departure from the promises of their campaign and their consistent pro-immigrant narrative. Was this moment surprising to you? I would say that Vice President Harris's statements in Guatemala and other things that the Biden administration has said, trying to deter people from seeking asylum, whether they're from Central America or from Haiti or elsewhere in the world, was not a surprise. I had hoped for better, sincerely hoped for better, but I was not surprised. And the reason is that when it comes down to it, immigration is is not a partisan issue. The Democrats will not save us. Uh, when it comes to immigration, as with so many other controversial issues. It's going to take the work of the American people to hold people of any party, whoever is president, accountable, as we've just been talking about, to give a little bit of a step back and kind of a, a broader perspective. What Vice President Harris said in sending the message that people should not come really echoed what something we last heard in the summer of 2014, when we also saw a so-called surge of people coming from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, arriving at the U.S.-Mexico border, fleeing from persecution, from torture, from death threats, children, parents mostly. And we saw President Obama and Vice President Biden and Secretary of Homeland Security at that time, Jay Johnson, all saying, literally, do not come. We will detain you as soon as you arrive, and we will deport you. None of you are entitled to come to the United States. That was wrong as a matter of U.S. law and international law, because people have a right under the laws passed by Congress to seek asylum in our country. And it was wrong morally because the U.S. has always been a country that has not just fulfilled its obligations 
under the international human rights laws that give people a right to flee persecution, torture, and death. But it's also a U.S. commitment. It's an aspiration that we have that's embodied in those laws, that we are a country of refuge, that people who are immigrating to this country join forces with indigenous Americans and with black Americans who are the descendants of people who were enslaved to build this country, to make this country what it is. So in short, no, I wasn't surprised. I was disappointed and I had hoped for much more from this administration. Mm. I, I appreciate that additional context. So we talked earlier about Title 42, and I'm going to ask you to go into a little bit more depth here. So one of the most horrifying situations recently was, of course, those border agents and their treatments of the migrants in Del Rio, Texas. And there we saw an estimated 14,000 immigrants from Haiti who were seeking asylum. First, can you tell us what's driving that migration in particular? And then tell us more about how the Biden administration is responding to those migrants. Sure. I think the story of Haitian migrants who are at the border now is part of a continued tragedy in the relationship of the United States toward Haiti. The current push factors include the devastating earthquake and then the assassination of the president in Haiti, along with all the political turmoil. You know, Haiti is a sister nation in the Western Hemisphere. And so we're talking about people who are not only fleeing a really untenable, unlivable situation in their home country, but also people who are family members of Americans in many cases. And there's also a history of, you know, going back to the 90s when, uh, because again of political unrest in Haiti, there were a large number of Haitians fleeing Haiti to come to the United States seeking asylum and Horrifyingly, the United States was locking up Haitian asylum seekers who were HIV positive because, again, at that time, the public health crisis was HIV. And what President Biden has done, unfortunately, with respect to the Title 42 so-called public health ban on entries to the United States based on COVID has been to continue the Trump administration's policy. President Trump issued the Title 42 public health ban back in March of 2020. And we at the ACLU, along with our partner organizations, sued just a couple months later, first on behalf of children. These were children who had come to the U.S. alone and we're trying to file asylum claims at the U.S.-Mexico border. And we brought a series of lawsuits that were largely successful, and we got the government to permit kids to come into the United States. We then sued on behalf of families, so kids with family members, parents, or relatives coming into the United States. And initially, in January, Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas wanted to try to settle that case. We engaged in settlement discussions, and the government permitted thousands of our clients, thousands of families, to get individual exemptions from the Title 42 ban. But in what was a surprise... In August of this year, the Biden administration issued a new order 
backed by the Centers for Disease Control that extended the Title 42 COVID ban. And this is, again, after reportedly CDC officials said there was no need to bring immigration bans into the discussion about how to protect our country from COVID and how to deal with the pandemic in this country. In September, we won a court order, again, blocking temporarily that expansion of the Title 42 public health ban, but the government, Biden administration, is now pursuing an appeal and is doubling down on that Title 42 policy. Those horrifying pictures from Del Rio of Border Patrol agents attacking Black people who are seeking entry into the United States and all of those flights flying people back into harm's way, flying people back into situations where their lives are at risk, that's the Title 42 ban at work. And it's the Biden administration that's continuing the Trump administration policy. So out of one side of his mouth, in a recent interview, we have a Secretary Mayorkas acknowledging that, again, the immigration system is completely broken. And then as you've said, the other side of his mouth, using Title 42 to account for why, for instance, 2,000 Haitian immigrants were turned away at the border. Do you have some analysis around this this double talk? What do you think is behind the acknowledgement of the broken system, but the lack of change to actually fix it? I do. I think that the double talk, as you put it, that the Biden administration and that Democrats in office, going back to the Obama administration, and the Bill Clinton administration have engaged in comes out of what I see as a real political miscalculation. I think that the Biden administration, like its predecessors, have been frightened by the success of the Trump administration in riling a very vocal minority of the American population that favors restrictions on immigration, not just so-called illegal immigration, but also legal immigration. You've continuously seen Democratic administrations, two terms of Obama and now Biden, buying into, capitulating to a Republican agenda that is driven by a really extreme right wing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when... President Obama said to people seeking asylum in the Americas, don't come. We will not allow you to come in. We're going to deport you and we're going to detain you before we deport you. And now you see the Biden administration echoing that. They're buying into a framework that says, we recognize the role of immigrants in this country. But I think the mistake they're making, the political miscalculation, is to agree that the price for whatever progressive immigration reform you're talking about, whether it's DACA or DAPA or path to citizenship for 11 million undocumented folks who are in the country now, the price for that is we got to lock down the border. We got to show that we're hawks and that we can, you know, placate or satisfy this really extreme far-right minority in our country. And that, I think, that political miscalculation that um, really trades off our core moral principles as a country in order to 
gain favor with a really tiny minority at the far right of our country. That's where this is coming from. And I think it's a real mistake. This is just the new evolution of it. But we are dealing with a legacy that has extraordinarily um, harmful ramifications for these migrants. I would love for you to talk to us a little bit more about the Remain in in Mexico uh, policy. So we know that the Biden administration was trying to end Trump's Remain in Mexico policy. First, tell us a little bit more about what that policy entails, and then we'll talk about what the Biden administration, if anything, has done to, to end that policy. Sure. So the Remain in Mexico policy, which was given this Orwellian name, Migration Protection Protocols, by the Trump administration when it rolled it out in January of 2019, was this really um, an unprecedented move by the U.S. government to force people who were already screened in, who had already made it over that first obstacle to applying for asylum in the United States, force those people to return to Mexico and pursue their asylum claims and go through that court process, that administrative process, while in Mexico. Our country had never done that before. And it's something that resulted in the horrific reality that we saw of people, families, babies, living in tents, in squalid conditions, right at the border, on the other side. And in some cases in really dangerous conditions where uh, Human Rights Watch, our sister organization, reported people have been subjected to kidnappings, rape, violent assaults. So here was the timeline. Trump, again, rolled out the Force Remain in Mexico policy in January of 2019. We brought suit with partner organizations immediately to try to block that from going into effect. And we won in the lower courts. But in March of 2020, the Supreme Court stayed the lower court orders, suspended that court order from going into effect. And so the force remain in Mexico policy was still active. When President Biden came into office, this was one of the good things that he did, really positive and brave step. He suspended the remain in Mexico policy in January of 2021. And in June of 2021, Biden announced we are terminating Trump's Remain in Mexico policy. What happened next is horrifying, though perhaps not surprising. The state of Texas, joined by Missouri, sued to get the Biden administration to reinstate the Remain in Mexico policy. And a district court in Texas did issue a court order requiring the Biden administration to make good faith efforts to reinstate Remain in Mexico. And in a real disappointment just this past Friday, the Biden administration announced that it will reinstate the Remain in Mexico policy. It didn't need to do that. Taking good faith efforts as required in the court order really required the Biden administration to do an analysis and to consider all the factors and deciding whether, number one, it's legal to have a remain in Mexico policy and to take a look at what the current conditions are. And rather than undertaking that kind of analysis and making that analysis public 
and justifying its good decision to terminate Remain in Mexico, the Biden administration has decided to, again, acquiesce and basically restart the program. And there we are. Back to that legacy. In addition to Title 42 is the ICE detention expansion that, that's been happening um, as well. So just with a little bit of context, we know that in January of 2021, President Biden issued this executive order that directed the, the DOJ to phase out its contracts with private prison companies. And it instructed DOJ not to renew those contracts, including the Bureau of Prison and the U.S. Marshal Service sites. But the executive order did not apply to ICE detention facilities, right? So I, tell us why this is a problem and tell us how the administration has responded to calls to end contracts with private detention facilities. The problem of ICE detention is one that has been with us since 1996 and has only gotten worse during the Biden administration so far. And sadly, what we've seen since the president issued that executive order is that even as the Bureau of Prisons is taking away contracts from these profit-driven private prison companies, ICE is now entering into contracts with those same private prison companies, which it already has contracts with, to convert those very same federal prisons into immigration detention centers where immigrants who are simply trying to fight and defend against a deportation charge are being locked up in prison-like conditions while they're doing that. And it is the only area of civil detention in U.S. law where the Supreme Court has said the government can lock you up behind bars without giving you a hearing where the government has to justify why they're doing that and that there's an individual need to lock you up. And this is something that has resulted in an explosion in immigration detention. At the end of the Obama administration, the average daily population was about 53,000 people who are locked up on any given night. And what a lot of people don't realize is a lot of those folks are longtime lawful permanent residents of the United States who are in deportation proceedings because they have some kind of criminal conviction. No matter how minor, many times those people are just detained for years and years until they finally end up winning their deportation case. So we taxpayers have been footing the bill to keep people locked up in horrific conditions. They've been lost their job, their families are separated from them. Oftentimes, they are transported away from their families to someplace in Texas or Louisiana, where 42% of immigration detainees are held. Those are the states where the private prison corporations are strong. And they've built a lot of prisons that they want to fill up with people who are fighting immigration charges. That's the situation we're facing now. Just catastrophic impacts for an individual's life. You've talked a few times about immigration hawks and the way that this particular kind of conservative voice is actually shifting the narrative and moving the narrative much more conservatively on the issue of immigration. I'm also wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about 
how conservative news outlets and news media can be kind of filtering into this. So we know that conservative news media like Fox News are slamming Biden, calling him an open borders president. But obviously the reality that we've talked about here is that Biden has continued a lot of Trump's immigration policies. So what role do you think that the news is playing in helping to stagnate these immigration policies? And perhaps kind of back to your earlier point, making it less politically favorable for real immigration reform. You bring up such a good point, Amber, in saying that, you know, conservative media has attacked the Biden administration for being open borders, despite all of the regressive, restrictive policies that the Biden administration has pursued, along with reforms, positive reforms too. And, you know, I go back to my my point that when we've seen Democrats come into office and really try to continue to double down on some of these deterrence policies and acquiesce or capitulate to a far-right view of the United States as being a place that we need to keep outsiders from accessing, they can't win. They can't win. The far-right minority and the conservative news media will continue to criticize um, a Democratic administration or a Republican one, for that matter, um, for being open borders, when in fact they're doing anything but throwing open the borders. They're actually locking down the borders. You know, I've listened in on focus groups where people who are self-identified as moderate Democrats, moderate Republicans are talking about immigration. And time and again, you hear people really have a pragmatic view. You know, they people really recognize whatever party they belong to. We're a country of abundance, right? We've got economic worries. We do have a middle class, working class, and poor folk in this country. But people don't politicize immigration and immigrants necessarily as as contributing to those problems. People recognize that pragmatically, people who are newcomers in our country are going to inject new blood into the economy. People are going to come in and become new Americans. And I think it's a lost opportunity, really, that the Biden administration, that the Democratic Party, that progressives aren't really saying no. We're going to really emphasize that pragmatic, welcoming narrative that our country is one that has been a beacon and a refuge around the world because we make our own abundance and we want a fair process for people to make their claims that they're entitled to be in this country and get on the road to becoming Americans. I will say from the conversation we've had today, it does look like it's a bleak situation that we're looking at right now. You know, we've been very, we've been very honest about the harrowing images that have been coming out of the, the, the border, the border agents brutalizing migrants, the congressional kind of inaction that we've seen, and also the sliding back of even the, the Biden administration's own promises, the conservative tilt of the judiciary. There's a lot of objectively pretty terrible news here, but Cecilia, can you tell us where do we, where do we go from here? Do we see any kind of pathway to progress um, moving forward with, with immigration reform. Tell us that this is not a hopeless case. It definitely is not a hopeless case. And 
you know, we've talked a lot about some of the, the areas where the Biden administration has disappointed us, but there's been a lot of progress. And, you know, there's nowhere to go but up from the Trump administration on immigration, right? And I think the larger picture that I would leave people with is there's a lot of two steps forward, one step back when you look at immigration. In the 2010s, we saw Arizona enact the SB 1070 law, and then we saw Alabama follow suit and try to beat, you know, Arizona at that game. We saw Utah, South Carolina, and Georgia. Many, many states were attacking immigrants in communities in those states. And we joined with the Obama administration and successfully challenged those laws in the federal courts and got most of those laws overturned. But what's more important than the courthouse victory is that that really changed the way people thought about immigration. What we learned from that is that people like Chris Kobach, who's one of those people in that far-right immigration hawk group, they came up with a whole architecture of xenophobia And it's about racial justice. It is about having diverse and rich communities and having that view of America versus an America that never really existed, that preserves some kind of racial balance that they're going for. And we resoundingly saw our country reject that. So there's reason to hope. The story is one of of just constant work and constant struggle, but it pays off. It pays off in the long run. It pays off every day. It pays off every time we have one of those dinner table conversations. Cecilia, ever the the lifelong activist, uh, reminding us, of course, that the moral arc is long, but it bends towards justice. So we may have taken a couple steps back, but we are going to keep pushing forward and keeping our foot on that gas. And thank you for the work that you do every single day. We are very grateful for you. Thank you, Amber. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to subscribe to At Liberty wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. We really appreciate the feedback. Until next week, keep fighting. We haven't come this far to only come this far.